Father, the last couple of days, that uh, phrase in the Psalms has been rolling around in my mind. It simply says, the Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. So oftentimes, as we're walking through life on a daily basis, um, we wonder if we're on the right path. And sometimes uh, we're on the wrong path. When we are on the wrong path, you let us know. Uh, There really is no confusion if we're on the wrong path because your spirit convicts us. But sometimes we're on the right path and we're not sure that we are on the right path or that we're doing what we should be doing because it doesn't seem to be real significant. It, it seems to be the same thing that we do over and over and over again. But the fact of the matter is, so much of life is just daily. It is just simply showing up and going about our business and fulfilling our responsibilities. And then we go home and we get some dinner and we rest up and maybe watch something on TV, a game or something, and then it's time to turn in. And we get up, and there we are the next morning. And we wonder if we are significant at times, and we wonder if there isn't more that we should be doing, and we wonder if we're missing something. If we are, Lord, the fact is you'll let us know. You have said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. If we really want to know your will, you will make it clear to us. But the fact of the matter is, oftentimes your will is not real exciting. It's just simply being faithful. Our world and our culture does not seem to put a, little, a lot of stock in someone being faithful. Um, we get the idea that to be significant, you've got to be well-known, or you have to have the limelight, or you have to do something that draws attention to yourself, or you have to get applause. But that's not what you say. You say what is required of a steward is that he be found faithful. We are all stewards of what you have given us to do. And whatever we do, Colossians says, we're to do our work heartily, not as unto men, but as unto Christ. It is the Lord Christ that we serve. Uh, We are all assigned to different posts. And you are the great God and the great master who gives us our assignments. Uh, You fashion and shape us in the womb. You give us gifts. You give us aptitudes and proclivities. If we are fortunate in life, we can work in an area of strength uh, strength and interest and aptitude. And, we contribute in that area. 
And the guy sitting next to us contributes in his area. And the guy behind us contributes in another area. And all throughout this auditorium, guys do different work. And it's all critical and it's all important. And if it's not done, well, when a particular kind of work isn't done, it throws everything off. So deliver us, I pray tonight, from wrong thinking about work and wrong thinking about our lives. We live our lives as unto you. You see every action, you see every deed. There is nothing wrong with being obscure. You actually said, make it your ambition to live a quiet life and work with your hands. There is great honor in that. So Lord, don't let us get duped and don't let us get conned. You've put us on this earth for a reason. And we're not exactly sure what that is, but you know, and you're the one who will accomplish that which concerns us. We'll trust you with our lives and our existence. Thank you for grace and mercy. Teach us tonight from your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're on this series concerning foundational principles uh, about uh, manhood and about marriage and about family. We are doing this because there seems to be so much confusion and there seems to be so much conversation and there seems to be so many cases in the courts about things which nobody ever had a question about. Uh, foundational principles are being questioned. Foundational principles are being uh, demolished. Uh, we live in a time where if we don't like the way that things are, we, um, we like to tinker and we like to adjust and we like to reformulate. But when you start messing around with things that God has put in place, there are consequences. I, uh, I had a problem this week because I, I have so many devices now, uh, and I don't consider myself a high-tech guy. But, I, you know, I've got a desktop uh, Apple something, I don't know what you call it. Uh, I got a printer next to it. And when we added on my office, you know, we got some outlets. I thought I got enough outlets. And then I had to get a charger for my iPhone. And then my son-in-law gave me a, uh, an iPad. And uh, these things all have to be charged. So I'm starting to run out of outlets. And uh, I, got a, I got a fax machine over there. And uh, I got a lamp. And uh, I'm running out of outlets. And about six weeks ago, I, I bought a laptop because I've been running back and forth a lot to Canada doing these men's deals on the weekends. And, uh, and I had a lot of downtime and I had a book deadline. I don't like to write on planes, but I bought a laptop because I needed to utilize the time. And so last week, I'm having a, I got everything charged and everything's plugged in and I'm out of plugs. And I was out of battery juice on my uh, 
what do you call that, laptop. And uh, so I'm looking, I, I had to get an extension cord and pull power off the wall. And as I was doing that, I thought, you know, um, I tend to be old school, and um, to be honest with you, I kind of feel like I'm out of touch. So I decided that uh, I was going to try and just kind of get with it, and I decided I, I got an extension cord, and what I wanted to do, I wanted to plug that thing in and then plug it into my power cord on my laptop. And, and I decided that I've been a little bit, um, I've been a little bit too strong on sexual roles. Uh, so I decided what I was gonna do was get a female plug and, uh, and tie it in with another female plug. I, I mean, I, I'm just trying to get in I'm just, I'm just trying to get in touch. I'm just trying to get in step. I, I don't want to be um, discriminatory in any possible way, so I got, I spent 20 minutes trying to get these two female plugs. Uh, I got duct tape, I got them together as close as I could, and I cannot pull power out of that outlet. And then I, 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 I was, so then I thought, you know what, I'm gonna try two male plugs. So I got two, I got a male plug and I got another male plug. And I got the, uh, I got the glue, that glue that doesn't ever come apart. And I, I mean, I plastered those things together and I said, you know what, these things, and it just, it didn't work. I went female, female, I went male, male plug, and I'm gonna tell you something, I, I wanna tell you something. That doesn't work with electricity. To get electricity from that outlet on that wall to my laptop, there's only one way to go. You gotta get male with female. Uh, electricity doesn't play a, pay a lot of attention to gender neutral values. <laughs> now why is that? There is a design to electricity. A design and you better get the design right if you don't get the design right and you don't understand basic principles about electricity it'll kill you you'll die if you get this wire how many times in your life well this is why I always call an electrician always and those guys are expensive but they're not as expensive as a casket. <laughs> and I decided, and one time I thought, I can do that myself, and I got a jolt that just about rattled me to the teeth and to the core, and I called the guy out. And he came out, and I'm sure he just thought, what, what's, you can't do this? No, I can't. Uh, there is a design to electricity, and there is a, a design to creation. And God is the one who has designed it. And you can do whatever you want. You can pass whatever legislation you want. You can pass legislation that a female plug should work with a female plug, and you can get the Supreme Court to approve it and do that. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not going to get electricity to that laptop. You can't legislate certain things. 
what we've been doing is going back to the owner's manual on some of the very basic foundational principles of life. Uh, manhood. I mean, doesn't that make sense? I've been working on this book with my son Josh, this book for young men. How do we know what manhood is? Well, who invented manhood? You go back to God, and God created man. And then he gave man some task. There are some creation ordinances, and if you've been here the last several weeks, we've been looking at the creation ordinances that God has given to all men in all cultures, in all generations. And I gave you some um, uh, quotes last week from people who are not Christians, but scholars, who basically said, and, and Claude Levi Strauss, the father of anthropology, basically said, hey, look, at wherever you go, whatever culture, uh, uh, marriage is a male and a female for the purpose of uh, having children, wherever you go, whatever culture. Those are creation ordinances. Uh, and then there was another woman who had studied every possible culture and civilization from prehistoric times to the present. She said, this is universally found in all cultures and in all times. Yet we are find ourselves living in a time where the basic foundational principles are being questioned and there is an attempt to say you don't have to do it that way. Uh, you do have to do it that way. Uh, one of the, and, and, and just by way of summary, the four creation ordinances that God put in place for all people in all cultures in all times are um, the um, creation ordinance of procreation, which is in Genesis 127 and 128. It says male and female, he created them. In the image of God, male and female, he created them. Both men and women are made in the image of God. Both men and women were designed to be God's vice regents on the earth, Adam and Eve. Uh, th and then they are told to work in the same passage in Genesis 1.28. Uh, first he says, be fruitful and multiply. Have kids, have children. And then he says, and subdue the earth. He gave them dominion over the earth. They're to work the earth. You see, the earth was created for them. Uh, we've got it all turned around. Uh, the earth is a resource that God has given to us. So we go out and mine, and we go out and drill, and we go out and fish, and we find minerals. And we, that's how God has, and it's always been understood this way. Uh, uh, the third creation ordinance, so, so you've got procreation, have kids. Second creation ordinance is work. Everybody is to work. If you're able-bodied, you work. And if you work and you work hard, you don't have to take any courses on self-esteem because you have self-esteem, because you're being productive, and you have dignity, and you have worth, and if, if, there's a, if, if there's a gravel road, and you say, you know what, I'm gonna pave that road, and you know what, you're doing a, that's a great thing, because you're improving. As Louis L'Amour said in one of his novels, Conagher, Conagher says, when I go out of here, I wanna leave what I've got on this ranch in better shape than when I showed up. You make improvements, you see. You're God's vice regent, and you have the ability to create and think, and there's emotion, and you can plan and design, and you can administrate. Uh, animals don't have that. Animals are not made in the image of God. We are. Male and female both are. That's why we do testing on animals in order to save the lives of babies. Not too long ago, I dropped some shampoo in the 
shower, I picked it up, and there was this label on the back. It said, this shampoo not tested on laboratory animals. And I thought, why not? Why do you think I care? Well, they cared. Now, what was that all about? Well, there's a worldview there. And the worldview is, is that animals are important as people. We wouldn't test this shampoo on animals. Well, who are you going to test it on? A baby? Well, we don't want the shampoo to get in the little baby's eye, in the little rabbit's eyes, the little bunny rabbit's eyes. So what do you do? Put in a little girl's eyes or a little boy's eyes? See, when you get away from what God says in his word, you lose your mind. Right? And this is basic common sense that has been in the world. Okay. You have kids, you work. The third thing is, you get into Genesis 2, the first couple of verses, and it says God created, and then what did God do? He created in six days and he rested on the seventh day. God wasn't tired. God doesn't get tired, so why did God rest? As an example for us. Because we do get tired. We get fatigued and we get exhausted. Yet we have this mantra in America about the pace of our lives. We're very, I remember reading something in the early 80s that the Japanese passed us in productivity and the amount of hours the average worker put in. Well, we're, we're not going to let that happen. So we upped ours and got back in first place. Uh, we just upped our pace and we name our pace. We call it 24-7. We're going to go 24-7. Nobody can go 24-7. And God said that you should take a day and rest. You should take a day, and it doesn't mean you just, you just stay in bed all day. No, you just do something different. It's a day of worship, it's a day of rest. You get in the New Testament, it doesn't matter which day that it is, but you need to take a day. God's the originator of the day off. Because uh, God knows our frame, that we're but dust, and he knows that we can only handle so much. So you got having kids, you got work, you got having a day off, and then the fourth thing you have is marriage. Genesis 2.24, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's a lot of stuff in there that's been understood through all the centuries as the essence of marriage. Uh, it's all under attack, and it's all being challenged in our times. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says that the men of Issachar were men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. The men of Issachar were a certain group of men that had come to join David, and uh, it lists a bunch of other tribes in that 1 Chronicles 12 passage, and their abilities in battle and what they brought to the, uh, to the battle with King Saul. But the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. So the men of Issachar, what did they do? They had discernment. They understood the times. They took a, they took a step back and interpreted everything that was going on in their world and in their culture, they looked at it through the lens of the Word of God. They understood the times. They didn't just react, they understood what was going on. That's one reason we've been doing this study. And then secondly, it says, and the men of Issachar understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. So they had discernment and they also had vision. Now what's interesting is, is that every man in here can relate to Genesis chapter 2, this, this is a, a, a verse we could run right, right by, but you know, God never just 
put stuff in the Bible just to fill in space. Everything's significant. Everything has a purpose. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. He gave the man some real estate. He gave the man some property. He gave the man, and what was he supposed to do with this? He was to cultivate it and keep it. He was to be a steward. He was to manage it. He was to work it. And the point we've been making is that if you're a husband and father, uh, you have been, and even if you're not, if you're a male, you have been given some real estate, or to use another term, you've been given a sphere. You have a sphere of influence. You have a sphere for which you are responsible. Adam was responsible to work that garden. He was responsible to tend it. You have a sphere that God has given you. Uh, you have a work that you do. You are responsible to God for your work. Uh, Colossians, I think it's three, and I quoted it in the prayer. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. What do you do? Uh, you landscape architect, whatever you do. Are, are, do you put in sewer lines? Whatever you do. Uh, do you drop plans? Whatever you do. Do you sell? Whatever you do. Do you, 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 you software IT guy? Whatever you do, do your work heartily, not as unto men, but as unto Christ. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. And as you serve Christ by doing your work, you're also serving your neighbor. Martin Luther said, Remember when they asked Jesus what was the greatest commandment? He said, love your God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, all your might. And the second is the same as the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Martin Luther said that when a man did his work well, not only was he loving God, but he was loving his neighbor. You see? So when you do your work well, you are doing for your neighbor what the neighbor can't do for himself or doesn't have the time to do for himself. This is how, this is how civilizations work. You've been given a sphere of influence. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 and 128 are all about our spheres of influence. Uh, the sphere, and, and a couple weeks ago I mentioned this, to figure out your sphere, start with where you live. Uh, where do you work? Do you work at home or do you commute? to an office, okay, because you're saying, well, what are the boundaries of my sphere? We'll start at home and then at your office. So I work at home, great, good for you, you don't have to commute. Um, where do you go to church? Oh, I just, I just, you know, it's just a couple miles away. Or some folks, oh man, I, you know, I drive 45 minutes, it's worth it, great, excellent. But see, so there's some more, you got some more boundaries there on your sphere. Who lives within your home? Are you still have kids under the roof? Okay, well, they're in your sphere. Um, or are your kids uh, up and out of the home and it's just you and your wife and you've got an empty nest? Or are you a widower and it's just you? Uh, are you single? Yeah, I'm single. Uh, man, I, I'd, I'd like to be married. Great. Keep your eyes peeled, man. Good. Yeah, I go to the single bars every Friday night. That's probably not what you want to do. Because the kind of woman you need doesn't hang out at single bars. You see? Because you want a woman of quality. 
You want a woman who loves Christ. You, you want a woman who can be the mother of your children and can last for the long haul for 50 or 60 years. You don't need some party chick. You need a woman of godly character. You see? Am I making any sense? So wherever those women might be, that's where I would be. You see? When I was single in seminary, I knew every single ministry meeting time on every weekend in the city. And I would troll <laughs> with Bible in hand. There was a very large Christian university not far from where I went to school. I often at times felt that it would be wiser to study at that library than at the seminary library. Uh, not sure why, but uh, I remember the evening I met Brenda at the uh, reference library. That was, that was a good night. Uh, I think I'll stop right there, but uh, see, guys wonder about that stuff. Well, I, I'm single, I'd like to be married. Great, great. Most guys will be married. Nothing wrong with that. It's a godly desire to want to have a wife and want to have kids. But we're living in an age where so many guys are afraid of that or don't want it. That's something to be embraced. That's a good thing. Now, at the same time, keep your eyes peeled and trust in the Lord. Keep your powder dry and trust in God. But you want to have your radar scope because you're looking for a certain kind of woman. I always told my boys, John and Josh, you don't need a girlfriend, you need a wife. So you run any girl, you got, that's your grid. Is she, is she got the character? And see, we're all in this, we're all in this external beauty thing. And it's, there's a tremendous pressure on young women, tremendous pressure on young women. And they struggle deeply with body image because our whole culture is about body image. You see? I read something, I read something this morning and I'm, sure, I'm not sure I can get it right, the, the average girl and, and her, her height and weight, it, it's, it's in the normal range. But the average model is like 5 foot 11 and 29 pounds. <laughs> now I'm exaggerating a little bit. You see, and that's the standard they're compared to. You want a gal that's attractive, but let me tell you something. Some of the most beautiful women in the world get ugly real quick because they have no inner beauty. You want character. You want stability. You want a Proverbs 31 woman. You ever read that chapter? My friend Brent Lamb's got a great song he wrote. Talks about his wife. He says she's a P31. If you're a pilot, you'll get that. He married a P31, a Proverbs 31 woman. That's a great thing. In Psalm 127, so wherever you are in life, you've got a sphere. Um, if you're single, you've got a sphere. If you're single, you still have a family. You have a sphere, you see? And you're responsible for that sphere. You're responsible for the people. You're responsible for work. You're responsible to take care of your family, and you're responsible to help those who are on the periphery of your sphere that need help. 
We went through that study in Job a couple of weeks ago. But let me show you how this sphere thing works. Because, see, this is all about manhood, and this is all about the responsibilities of men. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who builds it. Well, who labors in vain to build a house? A husband and wife. He's talking about marriage here. Uh, Unless the Lord guards the city. They labor in vain. Uh, Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Watch this. Now here you get to work. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late. Why would you do that? Because you're trying to make a living and you're trying to cover the bases. And see, the tendency is, i got to do that seven days a week. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. Watch this. He gives to his beloved even in their sleep. Did you know there was a Sabbath day in Israel and there was also a Sabbath year? That On the seventh year, God made them not work the land for a year. And they had to trust him in the sixth year to give them enough produce off the land to get them through that Sabbath year into the next year where they could plant and then harvest. Isn't that amazing? Um, three, oh, children are a gift from the Lord. There's another creation ordinance. Children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Full of what, kids? You see? Each one of your kids, are they not unique? Absolutely unique, totally different, different personalities, different aptitudes. What would you do without each of those kids? What a blessing from God. Uh, They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So the, the gate is where they did all the business. We saw that in Job. So when you've got those kids and they grow up, it's good to have them with you at the gate where business is taken care of because you're going to transfer, you're going to die, and you're going to hand it to those to those sons, and it's good to have sons. It's good to have strong sons that you have raised up and God has blessed you with. Now go to Psalm 128. Watch this. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands. What's that? Work. You will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants. Kids. Once again, another creation ordinance. You see? Uh, Within your house, your children are like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. You know what God says is a significant life? A significant life is having your sphere under the protection of Almighty God, where you love Him first, where you are able to work, where you have a wife, You have children, and if God is good and blesses you, you're able to see your children's children. That is significant. That is significant, you see. Yet we live in a culture, and that may kind of look at that and frown on it and say, well, that's kind of boring because this guy's not well-known, and this guy's not popular, and this guy's not famous. Most people aren't. But God says this is a quality existence, and this is a quality life. Uh, you got a husband and wife here. Um, God said it's not good for the man to be alone. All the way in Genesis 1 and 2, every day there's creation, and God says it's good, and he creates the man, and something's not good. What's not good? The man's alone. 
So God creates a woman, and now there's going to be marriage. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. See, these are the fundamental principles of life. And we're living in a time where they are being demolished. And I will say, and the reason I keep hammering this stuff and going over it is that it's, such, it's, it's under such attack and it's under such question that if we're not careful, we forget how important this is and we forget the value that God places on it. This is significant stuff. Flip, flip with me over to 1st C. Go to 1st Thessalonians. Once, once you start looking at these four creation ordinances, you see them all throughout the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at 1st Thessalonians 4. Look at verse 9. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. By the way, the love of the brethren starts at home. Did you know that? He's writing to the church. But the love of the brethren starts at home. You love your neighbor as yourself. Your wife's your neighbor. Your kids are your neighbor. All right? Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Watch this. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to attend to your own business, and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. You know what he's saying? Take care of your sphere. Be responsible for your sphere. Don't try to get outside of your sphere. Work inside your sphere. Be responsible for it. Give attention. Cultivate it. Be in tune with your sphere. Okay. All right, let me take a step back. I, I, I want to I talk about the practical outworkings of how this should work in marriage. And the reason I want to do this is because I think one of the reasons that marriage has been devalued and discarded, and we have, a, and we have young people that really have no desire to be married. Young people that were raised in Christian homes. It's not all of them, but it's some of them. Why would that be the case? It's because of what they've seen in marriage. It's because of what's been modeled for them so many times in marriage. Um, I'm aware of a man, and I, I've known him for a number of years. Um, he, he is in ministry. There are some people who have been greatly influenced and helped by this man and uh, have honored him uh, for his years of ministry and sacrifice and service. But they are not members of his family. Uh, those who are members of his family uh, have significant issues with him. He is viewed by those outside the family as a model family man because that's the appearance he gives. He speaks on family. He writes on the family. 
Um, he is not respected by his children. And do you know why he's not respected? By the way he has treated his wife and the way he treats them to this day. It's a, it's a tragic situation. I have seen, I have seen, I have talked with him. I have seen others try to talk with him about his relationship with his adult children. If he would be willing to go back and try to make things right, and there's nothing that he needs to make right, he says. It, it's a tragic situation. Absolutely, and it's so unnecessary to have driven children away from Christ. Not all of them, but some don't even believe that God exists. There's our public life, and he takes care of his public life. In public, he's a joy and a delight to be with. He can turn on the charm. At home, He's hell, to be real honest. Absolute hell. I talked with one young man one time who was an acquaintance of that family, and he told me, if I grew up in that home, I would not be a Christian. Because of the disconnect between his public life in his private life. You see, he has not taken care of his sphere. That's the point. In this relationship, in this relationship uh, that God, it, that's all the way through the scripture, this relationship of marriage. Uh, marriage is between two equal. Am I boring you guys? Are you okay? Uh, in this, in, in, we're talking about marriage. God says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So marriage is a male and a female. That's it. There's no other kind of marriage. Uh, and we're living in times, well, we want there to be another kind of marriage. Well, that's fine. You might as well try to legislate dry water. That didn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Marriage is marriage. God invented it. God created it. God uh, owns it. God has the patent. God has the copyright. Marriage is his. And we looked at the difference last week between civil marriage and covenant marriage. Both male and female. Now, this is interesting. Both male and female are made in the image of God. And both male and female have equal status before God. But what God has said in Scripture is that between two equals, the husband is responsible for the relationship. The husband has been appointed to be the spiritual leader of the family between two equals. Now, that's not a real popular thing in our day and age. Uh, if you look at Ephesians 5, it says the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Christ has authority over the church. The husband has the final authority in the home. The buck must stop somewhere. Mary and I have been married for 36 years. And, um, you know, life is full, of, marriage is full of making decisions together. 
It's just, you're always making decisions. And for the most part, you know, we, we, we'll talk about stuff, and, and then sometimes we don't, have, we don't have time to talk about stuff. And I'll talk to young couples sometimes, and they're trying to figure out marriage, and, well, now how do we do this? And I'm the head, so I, uh, I, I guess I should manage the money. Well, are, are, are you the best one at managing money? Well, actually, she is. Well, then why doesn't she manage the money? Oh, because I'm the head. Okay, well, you know, CEOs have CFOs. And the reason he has a CFO is that the CFO is better at money than probably he is. He's the visionary. He's the directional leader. But that guy's better with the numbers. So if she's better at numbers, I mean, that doesn't, because your head doesn't mean that she can, because you see, the way this works among equals, you have strengths and you have weaknesses. You're a team. Now, the buck's got to stop somewhere. But utilize the strengths. In fact, you see, we, we, in our culture, we shy away and one of the reasons we shy away from the husband being the head, in fact, you have, within Christian circles, you have a very strong feminist movement that says there is no head. You, you have teaching that, that say that the headship of Adam over Eve was, was the result of sin. And it's not the result of sin. It was, it, it's not. It's, God has a pattern for relationships. Um, among equals, the, the, Someone's got to lead and someone's got to follow. Uh, how many times has this happened to me? I'm trying to get somewhere. I'm not watching my speed. And I'm driving and I look in my mirror and a guy pulls up behind me in a car that might be older than mine. But he's got two options on his car that I didn't get on mine. And he turns them on. And I look in the mirror and I think, who does that guy think he is? He's no better than I am. I've got the same rights as he does under the Constitution. Yes, that's true. But in that situation, although we're equals, he has authority over me, according to the Scripture in Romans 13. So we pull over and we talk about it. In that situation, the police officer has authority over me. Does he not? So you got a, you got a pilot bringing in a 747, and pilots are pretty strong guys, and they're decisive. And they're visionaries. And they don't like anybody to tell them what to do. At least most of the pilots I know don't. They want to fly that plane. But you see, they're coming into a busy airport like DFW, and they've got all kinds of planes. You've got all kinds of things coming. And you only have a certain amount of runways. And you've got planes trying to take off, and you've got planes trying to land. So there's a guy up in that control tower. And, and that's the guy that's in charge. Among equals, that pilot has got to submit to the leadership of that air traffic controller. You see? We do this all the time in society. All the time we do this because you can't function without it. Now, how is it that the husband is to function as the head of the wife? How is he to function? Husbands, love your wives. Watch this. Just as Christ loved the church. So that man I referred to, who has this great public ministry, but at home is hell on wheels, may I say to you, may I say to you that the problem his children have, and, and by the way, the scripture also says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not frustrate your children. Don't, don't be too hard. Don't be too critical. Don't... Don't be a pain in the butt to live with. 
Love them, love your wife, watch this, just as Christ loved the church. And if a man will exercise his leadership in the home with Jesus Christ as his model, who's going to have a problem with that? You see? The key is just as. Do it just as Christ. Not as you want to do it, just as Christ. Here's the fact of the matter. If you're a husband, you are married to a woman who is also made in the image of God. So you have two equals. But God has appointed you as the leader of the home. So you are the chosen leader, spiritually. You are the chosen leader before God. What is important is that as you become, as you have been appointed to be a chosen leader, that you do not turn into a frozen leader. When you get frozen, you get passive, you see. And this is what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to neutralize men and keep them from being spiritual leaders of their homes and of their families. And, take it. and, and one reason that kind of um, guys get locked up over this, it's real simple why they do. If your father did not show you what a spiritual leader looks like, how would you know what to do? You've never seen it. It's like if uh, we had a, you know, some guys showed up here from the United States Cricket Association and said, hey, we need 20 guys to sign up and leave tomorrow for an all-expenses paid trip to England for two weeks. Uh, everybody on the U.S. cricket team, we didn't even know there was a U.S. cricket team, has got the flu. We need 20 guys to go and play cricket in England. Everything's free. You'll meet the queen. Okay, well, shoot, I'll go. I got two weeks, I'll go. Now, the problem is, I've never seen a cricket match. Have you? They got some kind of broom handle, that's all I know. It's not a baseball bat, but, but and then, the, and they throw a ball, it's sort of like baseball, but when you hit it, where do you run? I mean, I've never seen it. Do you run right? You go left? What do you do? I have never seen it. If you've never seen it, how the heck would you know what to do? How would you know how to play cricket? If you've never seen a spiritual leader at work, how would you know how to be a spiritual leader? This is why guys get locked up. So here's what you do. You get as close to Christ as you can, and the things you see in Scripture, you start doing. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. You find men who are godly men, and you respect them, and you start watching them, and you do it just as they do it. There used to be... Uh, and they may still be around, but there used to be a company called CyberVision, and the whole thing of CyberVision, they always uh, advertised in the American Airlines magazine, is that they had CyberVision for golf, they had CyberVision for bowling, they had CyberVision for all kinds of sports, and they would take somebody like uh, Arnold Palmer for golf, they'd take some great professional bowler, and you would, you would get these videotapes, and you would watch these guys, and they would show you, like in bowling, and I watched the guy, I think it was, was it, what was that guy's name? Carter. I can't remember. Anyway. But this guy was one of the great uh, bowlers. And he just broke it down. He, he stood there where you place your feet, and you kind of zoom in on the feet. And then he, he would walk, you know, you walk through. Okay. And you'd get it. You'd see his, what he would do with his feet. Okay. Fine. And then he, he'd go back to square one. And then, now here's how you hold the ball. And where you want your elbow. And I watched that thing for about 45 minutes. 
I went down to the bowling alley, and I bowled the best game I've ever bowled in my life. It's a true story. You know why I did? Because I did it just as he did. I thought about my feet, I thought about my elbow, and I thought about my release. You see? I did it just as he did it. That's how you do it in terms of leadership. And here's the thing. Everybody's learning. Everybody's on a learning curve. So you're a chosen leader. The, the problem is, is when we become frozen, we become passive. You can't do that. You've got to move. You've got to start moving out. And you say, well, you know, I don't want to fail. You're going to fail. Everybody fails. But that's okay. Everybody fails. Everybody. The greatest failure is just to not move, is not to try. So you've got to fight off fear, and you've got to move ahead in faith. Uh, what is a leader? Best definition I've ever heard of a leader in my entire life comes from Howard Hendricks. He says a leader is someone who leads. <laughs> How do you beat that? You're not a leader because you have a title of leadership. I'm a CEO. I'm a CFO. I'm a managing partner. I'm a founder. I'm a who cares? You're only a leader if you lead. And we've all worked for guys that have had titles, but they don't lead, Right? All they have is a title. Or I got academic degrees. I got a BA, I got a BS, I got an MABS, I got a DD, I got an LTDDD. Great. Pin a rose on your nose. See, in America, we think if someone goes to this school and this school and this school and they come out, that they, ought to, they got expertise and they know what they're doing, and many of them never worked a day in their life. All they have is an academic degree. Academic degrees don't make you a leader. Um, Titles don't make you a leader. You are only a leader if you, what? Lead. So as a spiritual leader of the home, here's what men do. Number one, you set the direction spiritually. You set the direction. Now before we come to know Christ, everybody, we're all following something. We're all following something. The Bible says you can't love God money. And a lot of us, before we come to Christ, we love money. But you can't love God and money. You've got to love God first. The Bible says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. So see, we tried the money thing. That's not going to work because you get more and more stuff, and there's not satisfaction there. Solomon talked about that. But you're following somebody. So you set the direction. Secondly, you set the pace. You set the pace. Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. You don't ask people in the family to do what you're not doing. Daddy, how come I can't watch that movie, Daddy? And you can. I don't get that, Daddy. You can watch that movie, but I can't. Why is that, Daddy? Oh, that's because I'm a hypocrite, son. <laughs> and when you grow up, you can be just like me. That doesn't make any sense to a kid. No, son, you can't watch that R-rated movie. But when I go to bed, you and Mommy are going to watch that R-rated movie. See, here's what it should be. You know, son, I don't watch movies like that. I'm not asking you to do anything I don't do. Now, does that make sense? That's leadership. That's congruency. That's integrity. I'm not asking you to do a thing I don't do, son. You set the pace. You set the standard in the home. Well, I thought that's my wife's job. No, that's your job. 
That's your job. Remember years ago, Promise Keepers had their theme that one year, lower the standard. You remember that year? That was a great year. That's not what they called it. It was called what? Raise the standard. You set the direction, you set the pace, you model the truth, and you lead by example. So, you know, but Steve, listen, let me tell you something. I've got a problem because my wife knows so much more about the Bible than I do. Okay? She may. That may be the case. But it's not how much of the Bible you know, it's how much of the Bible you obey. You see? Uh, turn with me again to 1 Thessalonians. I want to camp on these last two points. Um, You model the truth as a spiritual leader and you lead by example. uh, Look at first, and I want you to see how Paul did this. Um, Let's pick it up in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Watch this, watch this. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. <clears throat> Did you get that? He says, you, you saw us. You saw how we lived. You know what kind of men we proved to be. Not what we said we were, but how, what we proved to be. Look at uh, verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. See, he was a model to them. He modeled the truth and he led by example. Verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers. Um, look at uh, verse 8 having so fo- uh, of chapter 2. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. In other words, I, I, I give my whole life. I mean, I'll do whatever it takes. You're in my sphere. I will provide for you. I will take care of you. You guys remember in World War II, you remember, you remember Winston Churchill? Do you remember Neville Chamberlain? Now, there, there you got one guy took care of his sphere and one guy didn't. One guy was a leader and one guy was frozen. One guy had a title of leadership, prime minister. Chamberlain was prime minister. And because he had seen the, the horrors of World War I, and, and England lost a generation of young men. So you can understand, you can understand the repulsion at sending another generation in the war. It's understandable. But there was a point. He was trying to make peace with Hitler. Peace at any what? At any cost, peace at any price. You can't do that. And struck a bargain, came back from Munich, says we have peace. He didn't have peace. You see? And Hitler had given him his word that he would not invade Czechoslovakia. And what did Hitler do? He invaded Czechoslovakia. Uh, There was a treaty in place that Chamberlain had, not only with the Czechs, but he he put one in place with Poland. Then in case... You are invaded, we will come to your aid. They were invaded, and Chamberlain did nothing. He did nothing. He did nothing. This went on for months and months, and if you read the history of it, it got to the point. 
he, he was so passive. And you see, he was responsible for the nation of England. He has given his word in treaties to other countries who depended, and the honor of England was at stake. And he walked away from his word, and he put shame and dishonor on the entire nation, on his enti- entire sphere. And at one point, he got up in Parliament, and they expected him to take action. Surely he'll take action now and declare war. And he went on and on and gave a speech and did not do it. And it was so horrific, and that feedback was so terrible, he got up the next night, and they thought, surely we have shamed him into doing the right thing. And he got up and went on and on and refused to do the right thing. And if you read Manchester's biography of Churchill, some of the Parliament members were actually going into the bathroom to throw up because the shame was that deep, it affected them physically. They were literally bombing, vomiting out of dishonor and shame for the nation. And, and finally, one man, the, 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 and, and I hadn't planned on telling you this, but the opposition had to make a speech in reply, and they had expected Chamberlain to say, yes, I'm declaring war. He didn't do it, and the man who got up was so stunned and shocked that he was hesitating and halting in his remarks. He hardly knew what to say. He was so stunned by his refusal to do the right thing and take care of the sphere and be honorable and take care of his stewardship, not only for England, but for the nations. And there was a man sitting in the audience, an MP named Leo Amory. And as the man was halting and not quite sure what to say, Amory just belted out, speak for England. Speak for England. And the whole place broke out in applause. And he lit a fire under that boy. And suddenly that guy started talking from his heart and from his gut. This is unacceptable. And he declared war. And for the next eight months, you had in England what you called the silent war, because for eight months, although he declared war, he didn't do a thing. And guess who spoke up eight months later? Leo Amory. You see, the problem was, and if it hadn't been for Leo Amory, Churchill never would have become prime minister. You see? Chamberlain was not taking care of his sphere. You've got a sphere, and I've got a sphere, and it's our job before the Lord to take care of our spheres, our wives, our kids. And how do we do it? So, Steve, I don't know all the Bible. You don't have to know all the Bible. But what do you do? The truth you know, what do you do? You model the truth. You lead by example. You set the pace. Um, Can I show you a couple more? Are you guys still with me? You see, you don't have to be a seminary genius to do this stuff. You give your word. Let me show you this word. You give your word, you do your word. How's that? If something's wrong, you don't do it. Well, it might cost me your jo- my job. Let it cost you your job. Let your sons and daughters see that. Am I making any sense? It's been said that every man has his price. You shouldn't have a price because you've been bought with a price. You see? What's the old story about the famous author that was at a dinner party in New York City and was seated next to some beautiful woman and in the course of conversation 
he leans over to her demurely and says, would you spend the night with me for $1,000? And she blushed and nodded that she would. And he looked around and said, how about 50 bucks? And she said, what do you think I am? He said, we've already established that. I'm not talking about your past. Listen, we've all messed up in the past. We have all messed up. I don't care if you're married 37 years or you're on your second marriage or your third. There's not a thing. We make it right as best we can. Paul said, forgetting what lies behind. I'm talking about where are you today and where am I today? So when I got up this morning, the first thing I had to do was talk with Mary because how I handled a situation yesterday and there was someone else there and I was not kind. And I embarrassed her. And I was wrong. And I should have taken care of it before then, but when I woke up, it was the first thing on my mind. What was my job? That's my sphere. I had hurt her, I had wounded her, and it was my job before Almighty God to go make that right. Does that make sense? That's my wife by covenant. I don't treat her that way. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. It's not a put down on women. Unless you're married to a Russian woman shot putter, she's a weaker vessel. <laughs> Men have 40% more muscle mass than women. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Treat her with honor. She is your wife. She's not your handmaiden. She's not your washwoman. She is your wife. Put her on a pedestal. Grant her honor. She's not perfect, neither are you. If nothing else, grant her honor because she's stuck with you all these years. Doesn't that deserve a medal? Sure it does. Can I show you a couple more in here? And this is fascinating to me how this stuff is supposed to be lived out at home. I think it's easy doing this at church. But see, it always goes back to the home. Um, is it 320 I'm looking for? You know, I'm running out of time. Let me... Um, Let me give you a couple more, just a couple more bullets, what this looks like practically, okay? So husbands, what is it we do as spiritual leaders? Um, we, we could talk for a couple hours about this, but let me give you a couple bullets. Um, God says in your sphere as a spiritual leader of your home, number one, you are to provide. First Timothy 5.8. If a man doesn't provide for his own, he is worse than an unbeliever. Men are to work and men are to provide. That's our job. Doesn't mean a wife can't help with that, but the primary responsibility is on the man to provide. The primary responsibility on the man is to oversee. Now, you may not be the numbers guy, but you gotta make sure that you're not spending yourself crazy into debt like you're some congressman. You know what I'm saying? 
you're responsible for your family and you'll give an account. And it's your job to provide. I talk to young guys all the time now because we live in a different world. And I had a young guy say to me not too long ago, he goes, you know, my wife makes more than I do. I don't know how I can be the leader of the home. I said, where'd you get that? Well, she makes more money than I do. I said, so? You've been appointed to leadership. He said, well, I'm not sure that that's, uh, uh, well, if she makes more money than I do, why shouldn't she lead? I said, hey, you know what? When Steve Jobs went back to Apple for the second time, everybody in the company made more than he did. The guys who did the landscaping, the guys who blew the leaves out of the parking lot made more money than Steve Jobs. The food service workers, the custodians made more money than Steve Jobs, but he had been appointed as leader and he led. It has nothing to do with how much money you bring home or she, now you're to work and you're to work hard. But see, you've been appointed to this and you are responsible ultimately that the family is provided for. Here's a second principle. You protect. You are the protector. Um, I've struggled with this over the years. If I hear a noise at three in the morning, uh, Mary, go down and check that out, will you? <laughs> I don't want to go down there. I mean, there may be somebody down there. No, that's my job to go down there. Is it not? This has always been understood, but we've got such confusion in our day that, well, isn't that kind of sexist? No, God made men to provide and God made men to protect. That's why you're bigger, that's why you're stronger. That's your job. It is, it is part of the masculine soul and the masculine spirit to protect. Sometimes, women have a cycle they go through for tw every 28 days. God didn't put you in that cycle. You're not knocked out every once in a while, every 28 days. Sometimes she is. This is what's so interesting about women in battle and going into combat. What if you've got a platoon and you've got gals in there and they got severe cramps? See, nobody ever talks about this. This is, this is ludicrous. How does this work? What do you got, 12, 14, and four of them are gals, and at that time of the month, they just can't function. Does anybody ever think of common sense and reality? No. No, we don't. You protect. In Acts chapter 20, God said, Paul said to the Ephesian elders that when he left, that wolves were going to come in and try to upset them, and it was the job of the elders to protect the flock. You are the family shepherd. The family shepherd, the family shepherd provides by feeding. The shepherd has to feed the flock. You're your family shepherd, so you have to provide. The, the shepherd protects, so it's your job to protect. It's your job to protect your wife. It's your job to protect your kids. That's your job. If there's a bullying, bullying, how do you say that? Bullying, B-U-L-L-Y-I-N-G situation. Fathers should be involved in that. Your kid should not have to handle that by himself. Your daughter should not have to handle that by himself. Well, you know, oh, I'm not sure I can step in. Who else is going to step in? That's your daughter. That's your son. You step in and do what is appropriate. There's a time to step in. There's a time to let boys handle situations. You say, I'm not sure what to do. You need the wisdom of God. 
But fathers can't be passive in those situations. They are in your sphere and they need your help and they need your wisdom. So you provide, you protect, and you pray. You pray for them because they're in your sphere. Um, I'll just leave you with 1 Samuel 12, verse 23. He said, Far be it from me that I should sin against God and fail to pray for you. You pray for those under your sphere, your wife and your kids. Let me give you one other one. You've got to be in the Word of God. You have to be in the Word. You know, I'll tell you what. My dad, my, my dad, he wasn't perfect, but I'll tell you something. He gave me some foundational principles. I mean, he did, and I thank God for my dad. I'm going to tell you something. My dad loved Christ, and my dad loved the Bible. I always remember my dad's Bibles, his Bible. He'd, he'd wear them out. But my dad always had a brown Thompson chain reference Bible. And they always written up and marked up and... And my dad taught an adult Sunday school class on Sundays. And my dad was busy during the week. But you know what my dad would do on Saturday? He'd get up early and he'd open his Bible and he'd go in that bedroom and he'd shut the door and he wouldn't come out except for lunch for eight hours. He studied eight hours for a 40-minute adult Sunday school class. And there are a lot of pastors in America that don't study that long to teach, to preach on Sundays. Now, we had a game, he was there, and he'd get up earlier or do whatever, but he was going to do that Bible study. My dad got up every morning, about 5.45, he got his coffee, he got his Bible, and he sat down at that kitchen table, or he was on that sofa, and he was in the Word of God, and he was praying. Every morning. Every morning. And he wasn't just a hearer of the Word, he was a doer. And I remember when I was in seminary and I had to come home for six months because I'd lost my job and I was working and going to school and I came home to try to work for six months and so I'm living at home. And I, and one, and, and I saw a situation where I thought my, my dad mistreated my mom. My dad loved my mom. But they were complete opposites, complete and total opposites. And my dad, he hurt my mom. And I was, what, 22, 23. And I, and, and I was watching it, and he didn't, he didn't go repair it. So after about three days, mom was gone, and my dad came in, and I said, hey, dad, I, I want to run something by you. And he goes, yeah. I said, you know the other day when you said this to mom? And he goes, yeah. I said, you heard her. And my dad was a big guy. I said, you heard her, and you heard her bad. And he looked at me. He said, I did, didn't I? I said, yeah, you did. And you shouldn't treat her that way, Dad. I'm surprised. I said, you know, Dad, sometimes you act like you don't love her. He said, Steve, I love her with everything I've got. I said, Dad, I know that, and she does too. But you're not acting like it. And he put his head down and he goes, you know, I know. You're right. Thanks for telling me. 
I'll take care of it right away. And he did. I loved him for it. My dad was strong. My dad was tough. He knew his own mind. But I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> he was teachable. He didn't pull any rank on me. He didn't say, you can't talk to me that way. He didn't pull any of that crud. You know what he did? He took it. And then he went and did it. That's why we loved him. And that's why we respected him. And I'm irritable, but I got it from him and it's his fault. <laughs> but I've got the same savior that he had. And I can't live without him. Let's pray. Lord, we're all guys in process. We're not trying to lay a weight on guys. We're just trying to raise the standard. We think, Lord, sometimes we can't do this, and the fact is we can do it. It's not that complex. It's just working our sphere. It's punching in and showing up and doing the right thing. It's, it's being teachable instead of defensive. It's being quick to repair something we've broken. Um, now we can sit here all night in shame for what we haven't done and when we blew it and all that. You don't want that. We come to you and admit our past failures. But we thank you that you offer to help us. No, you help us, you forgive us. And the eye of the Lord is on those who hope for his loving kindness. The eye of the Lord roams to and fro about the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully his, that he may strongly support him. We're just a bunch of guys, Lord, but we're following you. Would you help us to grow this week? Maybe to take some steps we've been reluctant to take. But steps, Lord, that would honor you. And... Uh, perhaps would bring some security to a situation that is insecure right now because of a lack of leadership. Help us to step up to the plate and trust you. We ask in Jesus' name.